He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Thank you for taking time to join us as we take time to learn from God's Word together. The message you are about to hear comes from the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene in Cape Elizabeth, Maine. Listen to more sermons or learn more about the church at our website, capenazarene.org. When I uh, first met Jen and uh, we were getting to know each other and uh, I can't remember if the scene I'm about to say was before or after I asked her to start dating me, but uh, we were still, we were still figuring each other out. And we, we would often like walk back and forth from one class to another or from where we would have lunch to the different classes on the college campus uh, to the different buildings. And, and sometimes we just find ourselves walking campus and talking and then meeting with various friends who we'd see along the way. And I remember one time it had rained earlier that day and, and, and the night before, and, and so the whole campus is kind of wet, and there are puddles everywhere. And at one point in time, we're walking, and must not have been going to class, because Jen takes off her shoes, and she starts dancing in the puddles and playing in the puddles. And she says, come join me. The water's fine. <laughs> and like, like that, that dirty pool water getting in her toes and just like, and she's like kicking it up and she's having fun. She's like, come on. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, there are people watching. Like, what, what, what do you mean? But she convinced me. And sure enough, you know, I'm like, all right, all right. You do anything when you're, when you're falling in love, right? And so like, like there I am getting my, getting my feet wet in the puddles. Um, uh, I would get to meet some of her friends. She was a year ahead of me, so she had, she had got to know some of the, uh, you know, I, she had got to know people who weren't just the freshmen there. She, she had known people from the year before, and I was getting to know her friends and stuff like that. And as, as winter came, uh, there was a group of people that we would sit with, and a couple of them were from Alaska. And just like we had ju- we just experienced snow this weekend, when we were sitting around, they, we had just experienced snow that weekend. And it, it just snowed, it was, it was great, it was beautiful, it was wonderful, it was white everywhere. And, uh, and they were talking about how, you know, uh, they're used to having snow so much earlier, and everyone's complaining about the snow, but they love it because they're from Alaska, and I wanted to relate. And I'm like, yeah, and I spent most of my time in North Dakota. It's not as far, but it's also further north. I love the snow, too. And, and, they, they, and after we ate and we stepped outside, they wanted to show how exuberant they were that it had just snowed. And so they go diving headfirst, belly sliding in the snow and I celebrating the joy of this snow and just, you know, being goofballs and having fun. And I'm like, well, I'll join them too because I got to show, I just said I like it as much as you guys do. So now I have to do that too, right? And so I go sliding in there too. The difference, of course, is I still have my coat on <laughs> and they didn't have coats on because they're from Alaska. And so like, they, they were used to this. But like, I, was, I was showing, hey, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm like you are. You know? uh, we have the same desires, the same likes, all that kind of stuff. I fit. When we come here, um, uh, when we came here, uh, we like taking Alex to the beach. He loves getting out on the beach. Now, one of the things I've learned as I've lived in Maine is, of course, it's great to be able to go to the beach when you're this close to the ocean. Growing up in the Midwest, I never thought I'd ever be this close to the ocean. So we love getting out there. But of course, living here, I've learned, hot days in July and August are not the best days to go to the, to the ocean because everyone else is there. <laughs> See, you guys live. Yeah, we know this. We know this. Uh, if you're watching, you're not from Maine. That's the truth. We don't go on the hottest days in July and August because everyone else is going. Um, but so June comes, right? You get that hot day in June where it's like 75 degrees, 
And I was like, hey, let's go to the ocean. Okay, okay, not everyone's there yet. Let's go. And we go there, and Alex gets in the ocean, and he's playing, and he's splashing. And, he, and, and you know, it's like 75 in the air, <laughs> but the water's still like 50-something. <laughs> you know, it's terrible. But Alex is having a fun time. He's playing like, come on, Dad, come on. And I'm like, no, it's too cold. And his lips are turning purple. No, the water's fine. <laughs> and I'm like, no, okay. And then Jen looks at me like, you know, you got to do it. <laughs> I'm like, oh. And then, and then he's like, come on in. It's fine. It's not cold at all. His teeth are chattering like he's chewing an invisible corn cob. Like, it's just, it's just going, going. All right, fine. So I get in. I'm worried. I'm like, oh, I didn't bring a change of clothes. The car's going to be wet. We're going to have sand in the van. We're going to have sand in the house. You know, we're going to make a mess. I don't want to do this. But sure enough, I'll go out and get, get at least like ankle deep or something. You know, okay, I'm in, I'm in. But in all those stories... What we want to know, when I, when I think of those kinds of stories, I, I think what, what I find in that is what we want to know about anybody in our life and anyone who says that, hey, I'm one of your friends or I love you or I care about you, what we want to know is this. Are you willing to get into the mess with me? <laughs> are you willing when things are not going great or when things are just uh, unusual or, or as quirky as I might be, are you willing to join me in that? And that is one of the wonderful things I think about the story of the incarnation is that God, when he says he loves us, he's saying, I'm willing to enter into this mess with you. Let's look at Matthew chapter 1, verses uh, 18 and on to 25. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived in her is with the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. On this last Sunday of Advent, this fourth Sunday of Advent, we begin to transition from longing and waiting to looking at that nativity story. And we know that story. We expect to see the shepherds in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks at night. We expect the innkeepers in the stables, and we, we expect you know, to see the animals and the soft, sweet-smelling smell, hay that everyone's going to be laying on. We expect to see a pregnant Mary on the brink of delivering her baby. We, we've come to anticipate it all. We've seen it. We, we know this story. It's wrapped in wonder and beauty and just, just nostalgia. It, it, it's beautiful. Most of our nativity scenes are clean and crisp, look great, angelic faces, resty animals, a clean stable. Have you ever been to a clean stable? I don't know if one exists, but I can't find a nativity that sells miniature cow pies. But nonetheless, you know, we have this kind of sanitized version of what this scene looks like. Even away in a manger claims the baby Jesus did not cry. <laughs> 
That's, I think the incarnation's easier to believe than <laughs> baby Jesus did not cry. Our familiarity with this story often kind of sanitizes it, cleans it up. It removes the messy humanity of it, but without a doubt, immediately following a birth, uh, there, there is there's a mess. There is uh, Mary coming into uh, the, the, this, this uh, uh, stable scene. She's going to have swollen feet from, uh, you know, on the verge of, is this pregnancy over yet? I've been riding on an animal this whole time to get here, and I can't believe how bumpy the road has been. Like, like this, is, this is not a pretty picture. We, but we tend to sanitize those kind of things, even the family dynamics that Jesus was born into. But this narrative begins with a whole family dynamic that is not very, uh, uh, it's not the prettiest scene. A betrothed and supposed virgin ends up pregnant, and the man she's engaged to finds out. And, and this is a mess for them. This is a mess for their culture. I mean, this is, this is ugly. He's got to figure out what's going to happen here. If people find out, are they going to react violently against her? And, and, and this betrothal, where, where this, this engagement, they are committed. Like, can this even go on? they got to figure out, what is this going to look like? And maybe this passage, this passage that reminds us that despite all of this, love is prevailing here. It's not just the love of Joseph with, with, and Mary's love, which is definitely there, but the love of a God who says, I'm willing to enter into this mess, into this story, into this history, to show indeed that my love for you will always be with you precisely where you are. So let's talk a little bit about this. Joseph is of the line of David, so Matthew tells us. In fact, uh, just before verse 18, it's a whole genealogy. Uh, I've been tempted to preach from the genealogy before. I've heard of other pastors who've done it. In fact, I think I might have done it once many years ago. Uh, It's a hard one to make interesting, but nonetheless, if you look at that genealogy, you find in there that there are all kinds of stories of, of people in that genealogy who have questionable backgrounds. Questionable behaviors, a prostitute, a foreigner that was of an area that no one liked, uh, scandals involved in some of those relationships. Even in the lineage of King David, it's not very pretty. I remember when at the last church I pastored in Arkansas, I was just getting into genealogical research, just getting into it and starting to figure out uh, where, uh, where my line had come from, where Jen's was, and we were navigating all that, and it was getting real interesting, a lot of fun. And I said to someone in the church, I said, I know there's a lot of family members in the church. I said, it would be really interesting to do some genealogical research and find out how everyone's connected in, in this church. And I remember he said to me, he said, don't you go prying into our lives. <laughs> But something happened. His family started to invite us to uh, the various things that they would have at their house, uh, birthday parties and, and gatherings and holidays and whatever. They realized, hey, you're out by yourself here. Let us have you over. And I got to find out all those different connections, not from studying, not from researching. Oh, no, don't pry into that. But if you get involved into our life, if you enter into our mess, <laughs> then all of a sudden you're able to find out, you're able to learn, and they'll willingly share it. And you get to laugh and joke and have a good time finding out all those details. This story is a story about God entering into all those details. Not say, oh, look at what's wrong, but to say, I have entered into this precisely because my desire to save, to redeem it, 
is a part of the character of God. So Jesus is born into that genealogical mass. And even in this, uh, in this scenario where they're decided, hey, let's get married, let's get betrothed, let's get engaged. And for them to be engaged, is, it was like a contractual commitment. It is, no, it is only us. It was just kind of a step above. While when we get engaged, yes, we're like, yeah, it's just you. We're just not going to do it yet. But like the down payments were already made for the wedding, for life, for, for the house that they were going to live in once the marriage was done. Like everything is rolling. In fact, to break off their betrothal would take something like a divorce to make that final. And so they are as committed as, as they're supposed to be just before the marriage. And Joseph finds out that she's pregnant. And he knows that this doesn't look good. He probably has some doubts in his own mind, some questions, some currents, like how, when, why? Like, we've been traveling together this whole time. We've been together. What's going on here? And he knows everyone else is going to ask questions as well. And so he thinks... I, I, I won't shame her. I won't make it public. I'll just, I'll just kind of leave quietly. He doesn't know if he, if he can stay in this relationship. And that seems kind of, kind of odd that, you know, I think a lot of times for us, we think, oh, someone's just backing out again when, you know, someone's going to have a child. That's, that's never good. But he says, you know what? I'm going to do it quietly at least. I'm not going to shame. I'm not going to make it public. When I have friends who get out of relationships, it's almost always public. You know, the Facebook status changes to single, <laughs> broken heart emoji or something. <laughs> like, it's like, it's like, it's always an announcement. Always, uh, this is how terrible that person was. It becomes public knowledge. And Joseph is like, no, no, I do at least care enough to say, we're going to make sure she's not shamed. And it's not until an angel comes and says to him, Joseph, this child comes from God. Stay with her. And he realizes, I'm going to have an important role in the narrative of God's saving story for all the world. And he says, let me be a part of that. I want to be involved in and a part of the salvation story that God is going to have. And he adopts Jesus as his own, inviting him and bringing him into, indeed, the lineage of King David. The righteousness of Joseph is an important part of this story, but the fact that Joseph decided to divorce Mary isn't what matters. In his culture and his religion, he had every right to do that, to say, okay, I don't want to bring shame upon your family, I'm done. But he did decide, you know what? As, as weird, as messy as this is, I'm staying. I'm in this. And God enters into that relationship as well. So when uh, Joseph marries, uh, Joseph, uh, marries her and names him Jesus, Jesus is the name. God saves. The Lord saves. And it, it is a name that says, without a doubt, the God who is with us that we are going to call Emmanuel, this one is the one who brings salvation and redemption for his people. And he trusted God for this significant and life-altering moment. This story about God entering our world, what we call the incarnation, God entering into humanity. Jesus enters into a world born of ordinary human beings with ordinary human struggles. It's not a pristine family. Does it? it's, not, it's not the most pretty scene. Even though it often gets painted that way, even though the major scenes just, just seem to show one rough night, 
No, this, 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 is a, this is a hard time for them. But they were faithful. Their path was not easy. Their life was not free of, of burdens and struggles and mess. And so uh, Joseph stays. God enters into that story. And the incarnation is not just a story about Jesus being born in a stable instead of a palace. Of Jesus having a being of humble beginnings, although he was that as well. It's all about proximity of God entering and saying, I want to be close to you. It's all about God saying, I want to experience life with you. Of God saying, I want to enter into all the messiness of human relationships. So Jesus took on humanity in all its fullness from the beginning on day one including all the family dynamics, the gossip that would have happened, all all, all the questions going on, all the struggles that go with it. God enters into that and says, I'm in here with you. The love of God does not run from us, does not run from our messes, but enters and embraces them fully. And we can have confidence that if God is willingly entering a complicated dynamic like that in in the incarnation in Matthew chapter 1, then our situations aren't too much for God either. There is no distance that God won't travel to illustrate His love that He has for us. This Advent season is a season of hope, of anticipation, that this Sunday, remember, is bathed in the love of God. It's just like this is the love of God for us. But we trust God, because He loves us. And love means I'm willing to enter into the dirty moments with you. I'm I'm willing to enter into the uncomfortable spots to be able to show, yes, we're in this together. The story of Christmas is one that doesn't run from conflict, doesn't run from pain, doesn't run from all the experiences of our humanness, but embraces it. And God's saying, I love you for who you are, for where you are, and I'm willing to be there with you. And I will help you out along the way, but I'm here with you. And that's what we want to know among those that we love, among those that we care. When things fall apart, are you still there? If I get dirty, are you getting dirty with me? If, uh, if I don't know what's going to happen next, are you still going to have my back? That's what makes friendships. That's what molds relationships. And without a doubt, that is God's commitment to us. We are loved no matter the mess we are in, whether it be of our own making or someone else's. Maybe it's even a mess that's been created because we're we're, we're still figuring out what it means to be faithful to God and and, and, and dealing with the repercussions of that. And, And maybe there are people around us that don't see the full picture either, but God is present with us in the midst of all that. So on this final Sunday of Advent, we're looking ahead in the knowledge that we are, without a doubt, loved by God. And, and we have hope in the face of any other uncertainty because of that love. That no matter where we are, no matter what lies ahead, that the heart of the message is, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son sent into our messes that we can know and be known by Him. And so this Sunday... As, as we think about the story and the birth of Jesus, I, I just hope and I pray that we, we know that this Christmas story is, is one where God says, I love you and I'm going where you're going. And, and if you say, oh man, but sometimes my path leads me in the most muddy, cold 
wet areas, whatever, the most uncomfortable moments, God's like, I'm, I'm going to be there with you, but I'm going to see you through it as well and show you a better path. And my hope and my prayer this season, this week, is that we say, okay, God, here I am, and I want to let you in, and I, want, and I want to invite you to enter into wherever I'm at. And maybe in doing that, too, we can find ourselves asking, okay, God, now where are you leading? Because he's already willing to go wherever we've gone. The question now is, are we going to let him lead and indeed be the Savior and the Redeemer in our lives? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this hope and this promise that we have. That Christmas doesn't just have to be a story of nostalgia. A story of remembering uh, something that once happened with great fondness. But we can absolutely see in this, this is the story of you saying, I'm with you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. To the end, my love is with you. And so, Heavenly Father, today we come and worship. And I, and I hope and I pray that, Lord, we'll just open up and say, Okay, God, I'm letting you in. This is, this is who I am. This is what I've made out of the life you've given me. Heavenly Father, here it is. And, Lord, I pray that as we open up our arms to you, that we would also do so yielding and saying, okay, God, your will be done. Whatever you want, here I am. And Heavenly Father, may we come to see that you are the God who is good and gracious, whose love never fails and is always with us. Thank you again for this time and this season. I pray your blessings. Amen. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. Our website also includes instructions for subscribing to our podcast so you can have a message delivered to you weekly. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.